Good evening. Welcome back to the Snow Farms podcast episode. I don't even remember. I think it's 19, season two. I'm your host, Andrea, and my handsome husband sitting by my side. Today is December 5th, Monday of 2022. Today we are going to be talking to you about sourcing feed for your farm animals now if you can hear that heavy breathing in the background that's neither andrea nor i our large pyrenees anatolian shepherd cross uh named prim who is pushing 140 pounds now apparently is uh nearing death and just (laughs) breathing hard because she had to walk in here so um if you hear that, apologize, but we'll get on with it. So today we're going to talk about sourcing feed. Um, going to be really straightforward. This will probably be pretty short, but just want to run through and, and talk about all the things, especially to those folks new to either small type of homesteading, your backyard in a suburban setting, or uh, the rule like us. If you're just starting out, just some things to think about and ways to look at things. So number one, grow your own. And that, Andrew, that's not the devil's lettuce or Satan's cabbage that we're talking about. Okay. Okay. Um, When we talk about regenerative grazing and whether that's with goats, with cattle, running hogs through, even with backyard, uh, we're doing small batches of rabbits and rabbit tractors. So part of that is as you get closer to fall, and and I'm going to be talking to the Southeast in this. Um, in Idaho, where we used to live a decade ago now, plus, it would be completely different. So this is much more for the south. Where we moved up from Texas, we were right at the winter grass line. So where we were at there, it grew relatively uh, slowly, but we had grass normally all winter that continued to grow. That's not the case for us here in Oklahoma. But we're, we hay here two and a half months, three months. Uh, last year was kind of a long year, so it was probably three and a half, almost four months last year, but we had a super dry uh, late fall, so all the grass was gone. We didn't get any rain until spring, mm-hmm. so we had to hay for a really, really long time. So it, when we talk about regenerative grazing, I'm talking about having your uh, allotments of land, your paddocks and then managing those going into the fall thinking that you need to have two or three times more standing grass than what you need in the spring so just to extend you may not may or, depending where you're at may or may not be able to make it through the entire winter that way um one of the things that's interesting is especially at the hobby farm level which is anything under 50 acres and depending where you live maybe 200 out west it's probably a thousand acres to where you can actually do it full time but there are lots of folks who mow in the fall because your grass starts to look icky. It starts to look really sickly and thin and folks will mow it down just for aesthetics. All that grass that's standing going into fall as your cows, your goats get hungry enough, they will eat it. I promise. So even though it may not look great, that's basically just hay that you didn't have to pay for diesel and you didn't have to handle it and you don't have to store So look at it that way because it's just, it's simply dehydrated grass out there. So leaving that two or three times as much standing going into winter, uh, butchering going into winter. So part of the reason that whether it's here, Europe, the old world, everyone butchered going into the winter is a couple of reasons. Flies are gone and you don't want to carry that extra livestock. So 
if you cut down as much as you can cut down about the same time you, you're going to start haying, you have that much less cost, that much less input going in. So that's one of the things about scheduling, calving, everything that way is being very cognizant of not carrying any extra animals going through the winter. So if you're going to cull any cows out of your herd, if you're going to switch the bull out, those along with your steers or bulls are going to the processor before you start haying is the time to do that. Um, growing your own hay. So that's the next thing past this. So if you have a little bit more space and you have room for hay, for us here, we have one haying uh, opportunity. It's very strange. In Idaho, it was very normal to get three cuttings. In a good year, you got four cuttings, which is most years, depending if there's enough irrigation water to make that happen. Where we're at here in Oklahoma, the way that the seasons work and the way the heat works, there's usually just one big chance to get, and that's late May, early, late May through early July. There's that one month window that you can get hay and have enough growth back to get your cow, cattle through goats through the, the summer. So if you're growing, if you have enough space to grow your own hay, um, there are a couple thoughts there. Do you put fertilizer down? In our case, and in my philosophy, that's why you're doing the regenerative grazing. So your cattle are putting that fertilizer down and your chickens are going to help go out, scratch up those cow patties. I've for eight years now have been every big cow patty that's hard as a brick. I kick it over and crush it up with my foot. And this happens so much that now Sam, the toddler, does it, it every time we go to the pond. So when the chickens are out doing their job and the cow patties are fresh and soft, the chickens will do that for you. And it really is a trip to see how much they tear open those cow patties and spread that manure for you. But uh, anytime you get a big, hard cow patty, go ahead and just kick it over. It's dry. Crush it up with your boots. There's nothing sexier than cow patty dog. And this is why we have such a great marriage. My wife loves me. So you're growing your own hay. You can pay um, to have the fertilizer put down. One of my buddies that I run cows with did that last year and just as, as an experiment. So I think it's like $1,200, $1,300 of uh, fertilizer you put down. It increased production by six bales. So we're, we're never going to do it again because the return on investment there just not great. They're doing, we were getting plenty with just cattle on before. So it was a lesson learned. We had the money to lose. It, it was, it was good to, to, to see. Um, so the first thing when you grow your own hay, your option is custom baling. And that is someone else coming in. And usually when you do that versus retail, you're looking anywhere from 35% to 50% of what a retail bale is going to cost you. It's great. They know what they're doing. If you find somebody that wants to be a partner in your business and they are as serious about you know, baling hay as you are about raising your animals, it's, it's a great situation. You can buy your own hay equipment. And there's a couple different ways. You can go with square bales, which is something that's much smaller. You can pick those up. You can stack them. They have to be undercover. Square bales, there's just no way to keep those out in the elements versus round bales here in the Southeast are really, really big. They were not big in Idaho. I still don't think they're doing round bales. It's all square bales back there, but it's because it's alfalfa. But the round bales with net baling, you can get that bale tight enough so that you don't get any water penetration outside of one to two inches tops on the outside. So you can just leave those laying around anywhere. Your hay doesn't ruin. It is a trip coming from Idaho where everything's dry anyways, but 
every all the alfalfa is still un, under cover in a barn or under tarps. The cost there's there's benefits and negatives to both. The biggest downside isn't cost in my mind; it's the time, it's the maintenance, it's putting in because it's another skill you have to master. The upside is you can bail when your your field is at peak. I need to cut it. I've got all this extra grass right now. It's going to rain in three or four days. Uh, and here it's a day after you cut that you can go ahead and bail. It, that's also a trip. But uh, so those are the things there. You can make some extra money if you have enough hay. Um, it's one of those things where if you have an excess of hay, you don't have enough animals. So um, I'm trying to run super lean. So ideally that last couple of weeks, we're always super nervous coming into the spring, hoping the grass uh, gets going before we run out of hay. But I don't want to go through the season and carry 25, 30% extra hay. That's just money sitting around that I can't <clears throat> because the demand for hay in the spring to sell it almost zero because the grass is on. And then to, you can feed that allegedly second year. And I'm sure we've never done it. We've never had extra hay, but it's just, again, for me, I'm trying to, to navigate that perfectly and I can always pay extra to buy a couple bales of hay in the spring, but that's my philosophy on it. Um, the maintenance time. So it's a couple more machines. So whether you get a windrow, a swather, or I, I'm still looking at, um, Oh, the scythe, the, the teeth cutters that uh, are super simple, super basic. And then you have the baler itself. So the round balers, you have to look at how, how much of a horsepower of a tractor do you need? And rear hydraulics, all these different things on your tractor. Um, so those are, there's just a bunch to it. Now, Again, you can start doing for neighbors. And if you're in a place where there are just a ton of folks and have 10, 12 acres and you have the extra money, it's probably not a bad side hustle to do. And there are a couple things there that you can do. You can either charge whatever the going market rate is, or you can say, I take half. And now you've got another avenue of where you can charge retail for those bales from your house, or you can bring in extra animals. So it's just another thing to think about on that side. But the maintenance is, and keeping that baler running, they're YouTube, they're simple machines, but it's just another thing to master. So it's just know what you're getting to going in. So, and then the last thing, and the least attractive to me, is buying hay off Facebook and Craigslist. So ideally, if you have a neighbor that has some hay, you may be able to work out a better than market rate on that hay, but I doubt it. Um, unless you can trade them some beef, excuse me, pork, something that way. Um, you're probably going to pay market rate because the hay generally sells at market rate. Facebook uh, Marketplace and Craigslist, great places to get it. Look at the hay. Talk to the folks. Talk to them about moisture content, about whether or not they sprayed. So if you have an organic operation, that's going to be important to you. The other part of it is you don't want to buy somebody's garbage hay. And there's a lot more out there than I, I realized so go talk to somebody that's proud of their field and that they're not trying, again, if they're putting all the fertilizer on it to get an extra six bales, I mean, take it, but look at somebody that's like very serious about that.
just as much as we are about growing our, our animals. Uh, so the next thing is beyond hay. So for the rabbits, we've got grass. We're, we're grass. We're haying the rabbits, correct? No, we no? only uh, tractor the rabbits and Don't grow you put outs. hay in there? Little... Oh, yeah, I feed them hay. Okay, that's what I'm saying. So we're haying the rabbits. Yes. So they're getting some of that, that same hay that we use for the cattle, for the goats. That's going in there. And then we supplement that with rabbit pellets, mm-hmm. alfalfa pellets, same thing. So that you can do that with your rabbits. The goats, we're doing the same thing. Uh, one of the things that you'll ha- you hear folks talk about a lot is horse quality hay. Here's the translation if you're new to this space. Way more expensive and you don't need it. So one of the guys I follow uh, is named John Mosby. And he talks about this. He goes, I want you to think back to 50 years ago. No one in the country advertised horse quality hay. There was hay. And for the hundreds of years before that, there was just hay. And somehow horses made do. And he he's a horseman, so he talks about how much of weaker breeding stock we have from horses that used to be, have to make a living grazing around as a road to now we have horses that if they get anything less than alfalfa, they're, they're going to keel over and die. So for your cattle and for us, that's why I started with Belt of Galloways and Dexters because, and I will never ever say a bad thing about the Belt of Galloways as a choice. They will make a living on goat pasture and be fat and happy and that's one of the great things about that breed. If I could get them to a thousand pounds, that's all would run would be built of Galloway's just because they put on weight. They're, they're fat and happy. They don't have any intermuscular fat, but so pick animals that fit the, the range that you have on the grains. So the big, the big place, if you're feeding corn, if you're feeding supplements during the, the winter months, producers supply co-op become a member of the co-op it's usually fairly inexpensive that's where i've always found the best prices um if you can find some place that has bulk and that's either by the they're selling it at by the 100 weight or by the ton that's going to be your best pricing and most of those places will sell three four five hundred pounds to you and not blank you don't have to buy it by the ton but the price discount of being able to buy them in bulk is, is really worth it. Second, uh, we have here locally, there is a uh, feed distributor, so the, a mill. So they make feed at this mill. They sell it wholesale. It's a cash-only business, which is super, very strange. It's a huge business. They've got semis going in and out all day. But if you go in there to buy it, it's all cash, which is fine. But... They're about $3 a bag cheaper than what when we go to the local feed store. If you're doing any kind of volume, that is a substantial amount of savings. So the next thing is a local feed store. That is somebody, whether it's a small business or a family-owned business, that is all they do is feed, uh, supplement local growers, farmers. Your pricing is going to be higher than if you can find a wholesaler, but they will be all day track supply at woods walmart you name it any of the big box retailers the feed is a higher quality and the folks the knowledge that you get from those guys is fantastic 
So, and then last, of course, would be Tractor Supply Atwoods, which is here locally. I know there's a whole bunch of other brands out there, but the increase in price, it, it's just, it's a ton more. So go out, look for those other alternatives. If you have to, you can, especially when you're small, Tractor Supply Atwoods, but it, it's worth finding in those relationships too. When you go to that local feed store and you start to get to know people, if you don't know how to solve a problem, there's somebody in that feed store that knows the person that can solve your problem. And that's a local business. Spend time there. Make sure they know your name when you go in. Um, I, I don't even go into the feed store here that often. They know me. I'm sure they know you by now because you oh, go yeah. there every week. And like, oh, Miss Snow, how are you? <laughs> they always ask where Sam is. He is a rock star. My <laughs> goodness. So uh, Andrea has some other sources that she is going to talk about now. And I would read them, but her handwriting is, uh, she, I'm surprised you're not a doctor. Whatever. There's not even it's not even that bad. So I have other sources, and some of these we haven't done yet, but they are all on the agenda to try in the future. So one of the best things that I've heard is Billy Bond from Permapasture Farms. He does this feeding method with his chickens called the chicken tractor on steroids. And he accesses food from local restaurants and he gets, he takes tubs like five gallon buckets, drops them off, picks them up, and they are full of leftover or stale, day old, whatever foods from various places he tries to source local organic food that he ends up feeding both his chickens and pigs essentially free food so he uses that to grow out his pigs and i think his last pig that he did only cost him 11 cents a pound to grow out but you can check out, he has a YouTube channel and a perm, uh, a podcast also, Billy Bond, Permapasture Farms, wealth of knowledge there. I also have been raking up the leaves in our yard, which some hippie farmers and outside earth people don't really like because you're supposed to save those on the ground for the fireflies and the wee little nuggets of animals that live in the leaves. <laughs> and yes, I was looking at Russ when I was saying that. And I'm looking at her like she's a crazy person. <laughs> but I am. We're, we're going to convert those leaves into rabbit poop and it's magical. <laughs> it's way better than leaving it to the fairies and the fireflies. <laughs> but I saw the other day on YouTube, I don't even remember what channel, but a gentleman was using the leaves to feed his rabbits and that I can scoop up leaves, put them in old feed bags and keep them in my barn. That's free food that I didn't even have to pay for. Plus the goats, I can put some in their feed bucket and they will fight each other for it, which I feel like I'm silly because I didn't think of this before. Also, Nick Ferguson is a gentleman that 
we were supposed to see when we went to self-reliance festival but he had a family emergency he talks about raising fodder trees russ and i are acquiring 25 poplar trees and then the willow that we're going to start ourselves from the existing willow stock that we have then you order mulberries i did another 25 mulberries and then we've got i think there are 10 that are still alive and doing fairly well a couple of them are doing we have four they're doing really really well so if you plant them close and coppice them or pollard them you can use the branches for hay tree which is what the folks in russ's time did in the olden days very true um so let me jump in on that so the mulberries that is one of the things here in the south that used to be a tradition um around your pig pen you would plant mulberry trees mulberry bushes and it did a couple things for you it gave you shade gave you windbreak and then all the mulberry that would fall in and then all the leaves you can supplement a ton especially for a couple if you're just doing mama pig daddy pig and doing a litter a year or two you can supplement a, a, a ton because the mulberries once they get established five six years in they are unbelievably productive and if they're falling directly in the pen believe me the pigs are going to eat all of those uh, and the leaves are they're up there they're less than alfalfa and protein content and car and carbohydrate content but they are very high all things considered in protein content which is one of the things to supplement pigs uh rabbits things are putting on a ton of meat in a short period of time anything you can supplement protein wise is fantastic so and the missouri extension the missouri state extension service or conservation service so it's an it's a part of the state in missouri i'm sorry missouri if you're in the southern part of the state it drives kyle crazy for me to say that but i lived in uh, at fort leonard wood for a while and that's how all the locals said it which who am i to judge but uh you can get those delivered for under a dollar a tree if you're ordering in bulk if you have enough space i can't say enough good things about mulberries in the south a mulberry cobbler which you've never had because you can't buy them in the store i'm a cobbler guy it, it it's uh, that's my thing the best cobbler i've ever made was a mulberry cobbler it is just a fantastic fruit in a cobbler we're back to sourcing feed though and andrew's like focus russell focus so that's where on the mulberries it is a great multi-use plant and we actually on the farm here I found this year, two years in, we have a 60 foot mulberry tree that is productive on the farm. That's my favorite tree. I talk to it all the time when I go down there and apologize to the fairies and the fireflies about not leaving enough leaves or some stuff. <laughs> Another thing that you can do to find feed for your animals is to become friends with your local pumpkin farmers or watermelon growers, anybody that has an excess that they aren't using because all they're gonna do is take it to the dump. And if you can ask for it and they give it to you, that's also another way to get your animals free food. One thing that I do with our chickens, and I'm going to start 
with the pigs is to ferment their food. So I take a five gallon bucket and put six, no, like four big scoops of their feed in a bucket and then fill up the bucket with water, which makes that food increase in size. It just stretches the amount of food that I have to be able to feed the chickens and they seem healthier and they don't mind it. Neither do the ducks or the geese. Yeah. Everybody seems to be healthy. Just none of them are laying eggs because we need to get rid of our meat birds. But that's beside the point. So that is what we have for sourcing food for our animals. So anyways, as with every podcast, publication, content, content creator, one of the keys to the algorithm is folks commenting, giving us feedback, things we miss, things that we could do better. So anything, anything you have, by all means. And that heavy breathing is Prem. She's come over here. She was awoken from her slumber by some teenager playing his music loud in his truck, and she did not approve. But uh, we're always looking for feedback and how to get better. So, again, thanks for listening. We have seven subscribers, and you know who you are, and you're special to us. We thank you for it. We appreciate your time very much. And uh, I'm hoping work has slowed down a little bit so I can start recording a couple more episodes a week. And then uh, we'll try and, and get this back on a regular schedule. And remember... Every day is an opportunity to learn something, something new. new. <laughs> Thanks. Andrew said again.